All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Yacht Talk Hacking the Boards. I'm Yakov, And I'm Ben. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about shock, which is a super high yield topic. And we're going to start with our review of systems or our basic overview of uh, the topic at hand. <laughs> that's our that's our very high-fi shock uh, sound effects that I we've love added it. in to the track. Yeah, Very uh, realistic. Which is a perfect transition into the question, what is shock? And the simple answer is a failure of organ perfusion. There are a lot of different ways that this can happen. These are lumped into four general kinds that you've probably heard of before. That's cardiogenic, obstructive, hypovolemic, and distributive. This last one, distributive, has three subtypes, septic shock, anaphylactic shock, and neurogenic shock. And we're going to go through all of these and their etiologies, I promise. (laughs) Absolutely. And one really high yield thing to note for each of these uh, types of shock, in addition to knowing their pathophysiology, is knowing the hemodynamic changes that happen with each. And specifically, you're going to want to focus on four main hemodynamic uh, states, the central venous pressure or CVP, which is essentially an estimate of right-sided preload, the PCWP, or the pulmonary capillary wedge pressure. This is essentially the left-sided preload. The cardiac index, which is your cardiac output over your surface area. So essentially a surrogate for cardiac output. And lastly, your SVR, your systemic vascular resistance, which is a surrogate for your afterload. Also helpful to remember that Uh, A person's blood pressure is a product of SVR and cardiac output. So keep that in mind as we go through this episode. And we really feel that the best way to walk through the etiologies, the pathophysiology, and of course, the hemodynamics for each of the types of shock is to do it uh, case-based. And so that's what we're going to do in today's episode. That's the the sound, again, of our our cases starting. Now we've like moved on to another part. It's just, yeah, there's shocks everywhere. What can I say? Oh my gosh. For our first case, Yaakov, we have a 25-year-old female who is at 10 weeks of gestation. She is brought into the emergency room. She was found in a pool of blood. Her pulse is 120. Her blood pressure is 85 over 50. Exam shows clots in the vaginal vault and cervical os. os sorry. Pulses are palpable but weak. What type of shock is this? So poor lady, um, this looks like a hypovolemic shock and specifically from hemorrhage. So hypovolemic shock from blood loss. Right. So what's the main insult here in terms of hemodynamics? Yeah. So once you've lost this much blood, you have a significantly decreased right-sided preload, correct? So uh, CVP, central venous pressure, would be the main one uh, to take a hit. So can you walk us through the other hemodynamics and explain why we'd see those changes? Yeah, 100%. So with the decreased CVP that we just described, you're getting less uh, volume and thus less preload to the left side of the heart, right? If you have less blood returning to the right side, of course, you have less blood on the left side. And when you have less blood on the left side of the heart, you'll also see a decreased pulmonary capillary wedge pressure, PCWP. The left ventricle will therefore put out a decreased stroke volume. So cardiac output will be decreased. In response to, uh, and in response to sensing lower fluid pressure in the arterial system, Um, systemic vascular resistance will increase to try to maintain perfusion. So picture all of our blood vessels throughout our body clamping down when they notice, quote unquote, that they're not getting perfused very well. Um, Of note, the patient is tachycardic. Her heart rate is 120 because uh, with a decreased stroke volume, their heart is trying its best to compensate, to try to maintain cardiac output, but ultimately fails in shock. 
I'm glad you made that extra note. Thank you, Yako. Of course. So just repeat what you said. We see decreased CVP, PCWP, and cardiac output, but increased SVR. Exactly, yeah. And note, SVR is actually always increased in shock unless it's part of distributive shock, which uh, we're going to expand on in a bit. Good point. And just to add on top of that, even though SVR is afterload, notice it's not moving in the same direction as blood pressure in this case. Right, exactly. Because just like we said, blood pressure is a product of two things. It's a product of your SVR and your cardiac output. So if your cardiac output absolutely tanks, then uh, your blood pressure is going to tank as well, regardless of your SVR trying to increase as best it can. Great talk on some physiology. I I love it. What are we going to do for our patient though? Well, for any patient in hypovolemic shock, you'll start by bolusing them with fluids as much as you can. Um, But once you realize that the hypovolemia is actually from blood loss and not from the loss of other fluids, you would uh, start giving them blood and only blood. Perfect. What do we not use in hemorrhagic shock that we might use in other types of shock? Yep. So that's pressors, right? We think of pressors as used in general for shock, but if the patient is hypovolemic from blood loss, pressors can actually make the bleeding worse. Finally, what are some other causes of hypovolemic shock other than hemorrhage to watch out for on the test? Yep. So burns can do it. Uh, Diarrhea or vomiting can do it. And any pathology that causes excess third spacing of fluid can do it. So let's move on to another case. Here we have a 15-year-old boy, day three of admission for a fracture uh, after a motor vehicle accident. And he's complaining of respiratory distress and chest pain. His blood pressure is 88 over 62. Heart rate is 135. Respirations are 32 per minute. And he's satting 92% on room air. On exam, his skin is cool and clammy. You don't notice any rashes. So Ben, what diagnosis are you thinking here and why? So it sounds to me like a classic history for a pulmonary embolism because for a few reasons, he's been immobilized. Now he has tachycardia, tachypnea, and hypoxia, which is kind of the classic vital signs for a patient with a PE. Perfect. But what about that blood pressure being so low? It was 88 over 62 in the question stem. So, so why is his blood pressure so low with a PE? So it's probably a massive PE that we're dealing with here. Perfect. And what kind of shock is this if, if we're dealing with a PE? That would be obstructive shock because there is a mechanical blockage that is preventing blood flow. Awesome. So just like we did for the previous case, what will our hemodynamic changes be in the case of obstructive shock? Again, everything behind the primary injury will be backed up. So we'll see increased CVP because blood is backed up in the right heart, but decreased PCWP and cardiac index because blood is not even making it to the left heart. It's blocked from reaching it. SVR is again increased to attempt to maintain adequate perfusion. Perfect. So what do we want to do for this patient with a massive PE? First, we're going to give O2, then we're going to give fluids. We're going to get a CTPE and probably start him on a heparin drip. And you can see any of those as the answer on the test question, depending on what they've already done. Wonderful. So let's say instead of day three, uh, he just presented to the ED right after a motor vehicle collision, and he's got the same vitals, so he's very hypotensive. But this time you also notice that his JVP is all the way elevated up to his jaw. And you notice that he has uh, muffled heart sounds. What do you think is going on here? So that sounds to me like Beck's triad, which is hypotension, JVD, and 
distant slash muffled heart sounds, which indicates to me that he probably has some cardiac tamponade from the trauma. Wonderful. So if you're in shock because of cardiac tamponade, what kind of shock would that be? That is actually still obstructive, which is probably why it's still in the same question. <laughs> good, good catch there. And will there be any differences? Um, let's say we did a diagnostic cath to assess hemodynamics. Would there be any differences between this type of obstructive shock and obstructive shock from PE? Yes. So you'll still see an increased CVP and SVR, as well as a decreased cardiac output. But PCWP will be measured as increased. In reality, preload is still decreased, but the pericardial fluid is literally pressing on the heart, increasing all of your pressure measurements. Right, exactly. So it's almost like a false positive because the heart is being compressed. Right. And that's why we say these things are surrogates for what they're measuring, because as in this case, they can be not accurate to reality. Exactly. And what would we do for tamponade emergently? Emergency pericardiosynthesis. Great. All right, let's move on to the next question. Yeah, and this one, we're gonna ask it a little bit differently because we've, we've seen that they like to test it this way. So you have a 60-year-old female who comes in to get a lung biopsy. She has a history of hyperlipidemia, factor five Leiden, massive GI bleed, and a diabetic ulcer of her right great toe. From all of that past medical history, what types of shock would we be worried about if she were to crash? So literally all of them, and test writers love to do this. They'll give you lots of risk factors for different types of shock and make you choose which is the right one. So if this patient were to go into shock and that was all the info we knew, um, this could be obstructive. She has factor five Leiden. She could hypothetically get a massive PE. It could be hypovolemic because she has a history of a massive GI bleed and maybe something went wrong in the lung biopsy. Um, It could be cardiogenic because she has risk factors for an MI, including hyperlipidemia. And it could be septic shock from uh, her history of having an ulcer on her right toe. Okay. So as you said, we need more info. Two hours after the procedure, let's say she develops severe shortness of breath. Her blood pressure tanks to 70 over 40. Her pulse is 118 now. Respiratory rate is 30. Her skin is cold and clammy. Pulmonary artery cath is performed and reveals a PCWP of 26, an upper limit of normal is 12. What's the etiology of her shock? And why does almost none of her past medical history actually matter? So we can confidently say this is cardiogenic shock just from looking at the hemodynamics. So we were told, uh, as Ben read, that the pulmonary capillary wedge pressure is 26, and an upper limit of normal for that is 12. And of all the types of shock that we're going to discuss, the only one that gives you an elevated PCWP is cardiogenic shock. Right. And for her, what is the etiology of cardiogenic shock most likely? Uh, This is probably from an acute MI. She has the the risk factors for it. And uh, so that that just seems most likely in in this case. In that case, what's the primary insult and what would we see for the other hemodynamics? So the primary insult with cardiogenic shock is decreased cardiac output. And like we saw before, everything behind the injury will increase from blood backing up. Um, We'll also, of course, see an increased SVR as our body tries to compensate for that decreased cardiac output. So overall, hemodynamics for cardiogenic shock, we'll see increased CVP, increased pulmonary capillary wedge pressure, increased SVR, and decreased cardiac output. 
Great. So now that we've worked through that, what are some other etiologies of cardiogenic shock? Right. So they're not all related to MI. You can also have severe acute decompensated heart failure. You can have a significant arrhythmia. You can have acute mitral regurg. And even a cardiac contusion or myocarditis can also cause cardiogenic shock. What types of medications would you give to treat cardiogenic shock? Right. So you want to treat the cause. Um, and as, as we spoke about in the previous episode, if the cause is an MI, of course, you're going to turn to your Mona C-BASH therapies, as well as reperfusion in the cath lab, ideally. Um, if the cause is an arrhythmia, you'd move into your fancy ACLS algorithms, which will be covered in a separate episode. And if the cause of the cardiogenic shock is acute decompensated heart failure, we would turn to our positive inotropes. So mainly some combo of dobutamine, dopamine, and norepinephrine. So let's move on to our next question. Let's say we have an 80-year-old female with a history of coronary artery disease, type 2 diabetes, and she just so happens to have lots of enemies at her nursing home. Uh, and she comes in with near syncope and itching all over her body. She was just eating lunch a half hour ago when she suddenly got dizzy and weak. Her blood pressure is 80 over 50, heart rate is 120, and you notice that her skin is flushed and extremities are warm. So Ben, given that she's got some enemies at, at her nursing home and she just ate lunch, what are you suspecting here as the cause of her shock? So it, it sounds like uh, anaphylaxis, which is a type of distributive shock. Yep, exactly. So it sounds like one of her enemies may have slipped a peanut or two into her food. Yeah, uh, that's definitely the most uh, logical explanation here. Uh, I might also mention that she has hypotension and, and at least two affected organ systems, but but yeah, no, it's definitely the enemy thing. <laughs> agreed, agreed. And going back to our central question, what are the hemodynamic changes we'd suspect given that this is anaphylactic shock, a type of distributive shock. So the primary insult is going to be decreased SVR and CVP, both from systemic vessel dilation. But interestingly, PCWP is also decreased since blood isn't arriving effectively to the left heart. You might expect it to increase because it's technically behind one of the primary entries, but it's not, it's decreased. This is also the only time that cardiac output actually increases to compensate for decreased SVR and attempt to maintain blood pressure. Right, so, so essentially decreased everything except for cardiac output. And uh, what's the treatment here? I am epinephrine every time. Perfect, give her that EpiPen. Um, so let's say she recovers well and the anaphylactic shock has resolved. She's doing great at home and three days later um, after uh, discharge, she becomes hypotensive, she becomes tachycardic, and this time she's hypothermic to 36 degrees. Um, the hospital team uh, comes over uh, and finds a sacral ulcer uh, that uh, looks pretty darn, pretty darn horrible. Uh, what do you think is going on here? Sounds like now she's in septic shock, which is actually another type of distributive. Perfect. So any differences in hemodynamics or treatment for septic versus anaphylactic, given that both are types of distributive shock? So because they're both distributive, we're actually going to see the same hemodynamics as anaphylaxis, but very different treatment. Of course, um, epi would be delayed and instead broad spectrum antibiotics and IV fluids would be started with pressors added if necessary. Perfect. Um, and what's that special finding we'd have if we took a venous blood gas? Test writers really love this. 
They do. And they'll throw it in pretty much just for septic shock questions. You would see an elevated O2 in the venous blood, aka an SVO2, since tissues in septic shock generally switch to anaerobic respiration, leaving more O2 in the venous blood. Counter cue though, what lab will we see elevated for this reason? Yep, for that same reason, you will see an elevated lactic acid. And here's a counter counter cue. Will oh. you see, will you see uh, elevated lactic acid in all types of shock? Yes, but potentially for different reasons. In all of them, O2 is not being effectively either delivered or used. So anaerobic respiration takes over. Lactic acid is pretty much the first lab you draw if you're worried about shock for that reason. Perfect. And uh, the last type of distributive shock that we haven't talked about, um, what's one type of distributive shock where hemodynamics will change? So that is going to be neurogenic, which is usually from spinal cord injury in a trauma situation. I haven't seen it tested as much, but you should know about it. Since the cardiac sympathetic innervation will be affected, cardiac output won't be maintained. So all of the other hemodynamics will be the same. Therefore, in neurogenic, all of the hemodynamic measures are decreased, making it pretty easy to remember. Perfect. And just uh, to give a quick two seconds on the pathophys of neurogenic shock, with that spinal cord trauma, you essentially get uh, loss of tone to your blood vessels and you'll get vasodilation everywhere, which is pretty hallmark of the distributive shocks. And so that's why you go into shock with uh, a neurogenic picture. So thanks so much for tuning in, everyone, and we hope to see you in the next episode.